it's hard to choose. I have like a wave of uh, ideas that are coming in. Uh, but let's just go with the first ones that are uh, popping up. The day uh, we submitted for Esther Pass was amazing because it felt like we were on a different planet and I'd seen so many pictures of women on Foresta Pass and I thought these women was, were so inspiring and then there I was. So to me that was a huge accomplishment and then the landscapes were just magical. So that day, and I felt so good. I- Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and for this episode, we had a few technical difficulties, including a neighbor with a jackhammer. But we soldiered on because, as you know, the show must go on. Today's guest is Poppins, known off-trail as Marie Tremblay, who went from thinking she wasn't the type of person who could through-hike the PCT to, I'm going to hike the PCT. She reached into the thru-hiking community with her illustrations and found mentors and cheerleaders, and through them, the courage to face her fears. In this episode, we talk about the journey before the journey, tramly group decisions, hiking even when you hate it, her six-week online course called Hike This Damn Trail, and the Shrimpsicle. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-thru.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Poppins. Well, welcome to the to the Hiking Through Podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad we get to talk. I know this is exciting. I've been seeing your your. I don't even know what to call them because they're they're graphics. They're sort of animated or cartoon or you know or that kind of thing, but they're not really because there's so much more than that. Like, what do you consider them to be, or what do you call your? That's such a good question. Um, and you're right. When people say your comics, I have like a weird feeling inside of me, like it's not quite the word to use. Yeah, I guess they're illustrations. But I really try to, to send a message with them. And I always mix illustration with text. It's very rare that I'm going to make an image that doesn't have any text on it. And if it doesn't have text on it, it's going to be in the caption. So it's content creation, but visual content creation. I really love mixing the text and the illustrations. It's, it's very powerful. And it, it's... Because of how you do it, it like the the messages and and what have you come across really well seems like a very poor word for it, but but well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it, it seems not sufficient enough, actually. But there you have it. It's hard to find the words. I mean, I struggle to find the words to describe what I do whenever someone asks me, like. Mm-hmm. I'm an illustrator, but I'm a content creator, and I want to inspire. You know, what's the word for that? I don't know. Art? I don't have a word. (laughs) But it's more than art, because I write, yeah, I write, I give advice, I 
So I don't know. Yeah. Which brings me to actually literally the very first question that I have for you that I was thinking about on my run today, which is because of so much of the way that you communicate is through your art, through your illustrations. And you started the trail with your iPad to do that. And then you sent it home and you, and you gave up essentially that communication device for you, which is probably both a communication device, but also an outlet, even though it may have felt like a a burden on occasion because you were so tired or whatever. Like how Mm -hmm. was that transition from being who you are, were to not having that there? Actually, uh, it was a relief not to have it. And it's really weird because in my home life, in my real life, it's my favorite object. Like mm-hmm. my iPad, I, I'm always taking it everywhere. I love using it. I use it every day. Um, I've never like uh, bought something that's been so useful to me and it brings <laughs> me so much joy. Yeah. But when I was on the trail, it was 100% a burden because... I was meeting so many interesting people and I felt like I couldn't all the time that I was spending on my iPad drawing, I was not spending it with those people. Like these people, I was not necessarily going to see again. I was, I wanted to, to give all of my time to the experience and none of my time to what I can do when I'm at home. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. How did you find yourself then recording your experience or or documenting, journaling, if we want to call it that, your experience? I journaled almost every day in my tent just before going to sleep in my notes app on my phone. And uh, I haven't read the entries again since I came back. I want to do it, but I'm afraid of doing it. I (laughs) Not sure why, but I really wanted to make sure I had a recording. And this way with the notes, I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything when I was writing them because, you know, everyone was in their sleeping bags um, at that time. Whereas making a drawing doesn't just take 15 minutes. It takes me, you know, at least two hours. So when you finish hiking at the end of the day, those two hours, you can spend them socializing or you can spend them drawing on your iPad uncomfortable in your tent. So yeah, I chose to spend this time with the people. And you sent your iPad home at, was it Kennedy Meadows? Do I have that right? Actually, I was going back home at Kennedy Meadows to a wedding. So I sent myself back home with the iPad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you dropped some weight there and then you came back. Exactly. I came back five days later without the iPad and I was so happy. It's funny because when I was at Scout and Frodo um, in San Diego before starting, there's an old man that came to see me and he said, you know what? You should leave it here. You're not going to use it. I know you're not going to use it. And I was like, you don't know me. Mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, obviously. I was You were thinking nicer it. To, I was yeah, I was thinking it. Like, who do you think you are to say this? 
But I think about him and I'm like, actually, he was right. <laughs> but I had to figure it out for myself. I think that that's the most, one of the most interesting things about the evolution of people on the trail, which is people will tell you things at the beginning. And, and while they, a lot of times probably do prove to be correct, you have to evolve to it. You have to get to it on your own. Oh, so that's so true. For it to become a part of you, for you, for you to accept that and, and find your space in that. For you to truly understand why you're doing this or, or not doing this. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And in terms of like personal projects that people do on the trail, like I wanted to draw, but there was, I met people that were doing vlogging mm -hmm. and some people seemed to have a lot of fun with it, but some other people seemed so stressed out about it. And I thought it was a shame for them because it takes away from the experience. You shouldn't be doing a through hike and have half of your brain stressing about your viewers and stressing about your editing and you know it's another job i mean people call hiking the trail a job but adding that onto it is another job yeah yeah and i didn't want the the memory of my hike to be like resentment and i felt like if i kept drawing i would be just doing it for the followers not for my own enjoyment did you find then when you got finished that you came back when you came back home and came back to your iPad mm -hmm. to your art book so to speak that things were were pouring out of you flowing out of you to draw or oh yes okay yes so much so much so that I uh was hiking the trail and I had like a list of drawings <laughs> uh, adding up in my mind that I wanted to do when I got back um mm -hmm. And I kind of like kept hiking and kept drawing in my mind and coming up with lots of ideas without the pressure of having to do them now. So I, ca I came back with so much creative ideas, so many creative ideas. So it sort of refilled your creative tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got on, I got on it str uh, as soon as I got back with the post-trail book that oh, I made. right. I have it here, actually. Oh, but it's a podcast, so well, we no can, point showing it. <laughs> we can post on socials pictures of your post-trail book, your pre-trail book. What, what what else did you have? Your you you went crazy with the uh, with the the trail projects? yeah the trail projects the the things to help other people who are hiking mm -hmm. or will hike it uh, thing between your post-trail book your pre-trail book, and then there was something else. Oh, you were doing, and I think you started doing this beforehand, but doing the illustrations for other people's. Uh, oh, yeah, the portraits. The portraits, either from their finish or for moments on the trail for them. Mm -hmm. I used to do that. I'm not doing it anymore. But, yeah, I used to do that. That's what I started doing even before I decided to hike the PCT. I started doing the portraits of people at the Terminus, even before I decided to hike the PCT. How did you start doing that then? I was dreaming about a through hike of the PCT, but I didn't think it was possible for someone like me. And so just one morning in the fall, I drew an illustration of the monument 
kind of like drawing my dream. And I added twerk on the drawing. Uh, do you know twerk? Twerk in the dirt? Uh, yeah, I, I have spoken with him. Yeah. Oh, twerk. Yeah, he's, he's wonderful. So I sent him the illustration and then he called me up. Uh, we spoke on the phone for like 45 minutes that day. And he was like, this is wonderful. This is a really good idea. You should market, market this. Um, so many people would be interested. So I got really excited. And the next day it was available on my, on my store, my online store. And I got tons of orders. And with the money from these first, this first batch of portraits, I was able to buy a part of the gear and find the courage. Like the community of people that I started speaking with, they really gave me the courage to do it. I sort of have two questions from this. You, you said just now that you drew the, the monument, but you weren't the type of person to do it. Why mm-hmm. did you why did you think you weren't the type of person to do it? Uh, because I'm so far from an athlete and <laughs> I mean I oh, I was always so bad in gym class as a kid. You know, I'm always uh I was a whimsical kid. Uh, we have like a term in French that's uh someone's on the moon to say that you're not always quite in the present moment. That's when you're somewhere else in your head. Like my mom tells me sometimes like, where are you right now? Cause you're not here. And that's the kind of, it was worse when I was a kid. So <laughs> that, that translated in me getting the ball in the face or like falling on, on the ground and being picked last when we did uh, sports tournaments and stuff like that. So I had like this whole baggage of seeing myself as a dork and as a clumsy mm-hmm. person. Yeah, so I've always loved the outdoors, but I kind of associated through hiking to like going to the the Olympics, kind of like the Olympics of hiking. <laughs> that was the association I mi- I made in my mind. It was it was an athletic endeavor as opposed to walking exactly. for 6 months. Yeah. Yeah, but I was wrong. <laughs> so now why did why did you end up picking twerk for that first portrait because i because i followed him on his through hike in 2019 i thought he was so funny and the strange thing is one of the reasons i picked him for the portrait is because his photo at the terminus on his photo he's wearing a yellow jacket Mm -hmm. and i just love yellow and i thought a pop of yellow in my illustration would look good (laughs) He was artistically appropriate for what you wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, which is so strange. And it's how I make so many of my decisions in my life. And sometimes it turns out like a bad thing, but sometimes it turns out like a really good thing. Well, it's so yeah. funny that you say that, that because your selection of twerk seems random, yet in some respects twerk is like the perfect Okay, I know this analogy is not going to be quite exactly proper, but he's like the perfect entry drug to the PCT. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, I mean, yes. his portraits, his pictures are beautiful. He's quite the character, quite sarcastic, quite entertaining, but he also has struggles, and, and he's very open with all of mm-hmm. that. He's not, you know, a typical athlete either. Exactly. Uh, when he was... Um, through hiking, he was swearing, he was uh, having a hard time. <laughs> oh, it was nothing was easy for him. 
Yeah. Um, so that made it a, a lot uh, more relatable. So you're right. He's a good entry point. And then you started doing other portraits or people found you and you started doing other other portraits for people. And then mm-hmm. I believe you said that Starburst became that I can do it moment. Is that correct? Um, she and Blue Hikes. Okay helped because it, it was seeing women hike the trail and you know uh starburst in her videos you can see that she is just a regular woman not like a someone who does crossfit every day um so that was like oh yes there's hope for me and what what did that mean for you what what was that moment like for you when you you sort of translated a dream or a ah, I wish I could to I can I'm going to mm, well I remember the exact moment and that's when basically I posted an image I don't know if you've seen it seen it it said to do or not to do the PCT oh yeah I was going to get to that uh, it's like directly linked to my decision that's why I, I talk about it and it listed all of my fears. So I posted that and then I got like an overwhelming amount of messages from through hikers who were like, I've through hike, I've done the PCT, I had the exact same fears and breaking that, breaking them down to show me that it was not that bad. So after I received that wave of messages, I was just lying in my bed. It was like a Sunday night and I was like, I had my partner um, snoring next to me <laughs> and um I just had my eyes wide open and I thought, actually, I think I need to do it. And I think it has to happen now. Like it was my obsession. I was thinking about it constantly, talking about it constantly. I was like driving myself crazy with it. Mm -hmm. So the wave of of, like encouragement from a bunch of strangers was the kind of like the uh, last drop. What's the expression? The last drop in the glass of water. <laughs> yeah, it was the, the the final push. Yeah, and that was like an overwhelming feeling of like hair standing straight, making that decision. Because it was like the biggest decision I, I'd ever made. Like all the decisions I've, I'd made in my life before, I felt like they were safe decisions. And the, this was the first time that I made such a scary step. Do you see what I mean? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I I feel you. Yeah, because you're 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 there, aren't you? Uh, well, Where I was supposed you? to be there, but <laughs> mm-hmm. in but for COVID, yeah, twenty twenty, twenty twenty, the year about, we should just exi- erase. Yeah, that's right. What what was your dec- decisive moment? It was actually, I mean, I had been playing around with it for years talking about wanting to do it. Oh, I want to do it. It's interesting to me. It's whatever. But I, but I could find so many excuses not to or why that wasn't the right moment. Yes. And my friend passed away. And in that happening, there was a moment where when I heard that she had passed away, there was a moment where there was sort of this sort of like what you're talking about. There was this feeling, this overwhelming feeling in this moment of this phrase, do all the things. 
Mm. And that was one of those things that I had constantly been putting off or constantly saying tomorrow, Mm. someday, next year, next year. And it was sort of like, now is the time. Or in this case, it was for my 50th was the time Mm. to do it. Mm. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So it, it was sort of that. But you're but you're right. It's sort of in. It didn't creep up on me. It was it was very sudden where it was like, nope, now this is it. This is the time. Just do it. Mm. It kind of did creep out on you as in you had been thinking about it for a long time. True. True. Yeah. But then the moment it happens is so uh, certain. What's the word? The, mo- the moment you decide this is like like a wave, like a sudden wave. Yeah, it's it's a. I almost feel like it's the analogy to a racehorse. You know where the rider is is holding back the horse, holding back the horse with the reins, so that they can't fully extend and you know and whatever. And then all of a sudden, it's like that release, and you let the reins go, and you just charge, charge forward. Yes. Yes. It's like go, going down a hill on a bike with your brakes. Yes. So like everyone's going down the, the hill of their life <laughs> on the brakes. And then it's the moment you decide to release the brakes. Exactly. Have you ever seen that illustration of uh, it's a it's a woman on her bike. So she's got her hands on the handlebars and her legs are like off the pedals straight out to the sides. And she's just charging down the hill no (laughs) that's what your description sort of made me think of that that's what it is i mean you need to be smart you know not close your eyes when you're going down that hill keep your eyes open but let go of the brakes and that's like true for everything in our life um but it was like the first time that i felt myself doing that and then after that, everything changes. You find, I don't know about you. Yeah. Like your through your through hike has been canceled in 2020, but have you seen changes in your life from the moment you decided to do it for your 50th? Mm-hmm. Totally, because I made decisions around being there that, even though I'm not there, have impacted what's come after that. And I feel like mm-hmm. they've, it's impacted it for the the better. So I, I kind of joke that even though I'm not necessarily on the trail, the trail has provided, so to speak. Yes. Yes. I like was already proud of myself before setting foot on the trail. I had already made so many changes in my life before even going. So like, I think... When I think about the moment that I finished the hike, then I that I got to to the terminus. That's not like the most important moment in the story. Most important moment is like when I was lying in my bed that night and making the decision to do it. I think that's more powerful than getting to the actual terminus. It does suck though that you're through hike is postponed, postponed, postponed. Yes, everybody keeps saying to me, the trail's not going anywhere. Yeah, that that must not be so fun to hear, though. No, it, it's not. <laughs> but 
but I know the truth that lies within that statement. And, Mm -hmm. and so reflecting on it is sort of like, okay, in the next five years, I will, you know, I don't know that 2021 will be the right year just because of how 2020 has worked out and the job situation and the money situation and all of that. But in the next five years, I will, I will be on the trail in one of those years and I will hike it. Love it. Love it. So, you know, it's a dream postponed as opposed to a dream denied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And the, the year you will do it will be the perfect year for you. Exactly. It's crazy. Like all the, um, how all the little decisions will affect your experience. I was thinking about how I started on April 10th and I chose that date because a friend of mine who had to hiked, it was his starting date. So I thought, Oh, okay, well I'll just, but if I'd gone with like a date five days later, my experience would have been completely different because I wouldn't have made the same friends, wouldn't have made the same decisions. So it's crazy. Tiny detail of being on the permit page, clicking <laughs> on the on that day changes the whole experience. So like the, the year you're going to go, the day you're going to go is going to be like a completely unique experience. It's so funny that you say that. The thing that pops into my mind is the butterfly effect. Yes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> sort of like one little tiny flap of the wings changes everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So yeah. I'm actually looking at your, at your list. I'll put it up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm looking at some of the things that, that you were afraid of or that as you put it down here, I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> That's worse. Yeah. What if I lose a leg and can never do it and have regrets forever. Yep. Want to live in the forest. Yes. Now you sort of have a, the lose a leg versus or counterpoint to live in the forest. Was living in the forest actually terrifying to you? Or the actually that, that was the, um, that was on the to do side on the, on the do it side. Oh, reason to do it. Okay. Yeah. Reason to to do do it. it. So, those were not the fears. Those were the reasons okay. to do it. And then the fears are on the other side. And then at the bottom, I, I remember writing, I'm terrified because the whole thing terrified me. Yeah. But living in the forest was not like a fear. Living in the forest was one of my reasons for doing it. That you wanted to. And meeting mm-hmm. amazing people. Yeah. Proving yourself. Yeah. Yes. But your fears were that, you weren't in good enough shape. Yeah. How did that, how did that manifest itself? I mean, cause I don't know that anybody can ever be in quote unquote good enough shape to, to hike for six months from the beginning. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you mean? How did it manifest itself? Did you then decide to start training seriously for it or? Did yes. You, okay. Yeah. Um, as soon as I made the decision, I looked at what I wanted to do in terms of training and I started walking everywhere. It was the, uh, it was the winter time in, uh, Montreal. So there's a lot of snow. And yeah. so I couldn't do as much hiking or backpacking as I would have liked to do because winter camping was not equipped for winter camping. I did do some snowshoeing. 
Um, but then when New Year's arrived, I saw a deal at the spinning gym that was like uh, 10 classes in 20 days or something like this. Like the kind of deals that they offer because they know that most people are not going <laughs> to so show up for the first class and then they'll <laughs> let it go. Exactly. So I signed up to that and committed myself to it. Like I promised to myself that I was going to go every other day. And I, I knew it was going to be hard because I don't know if you've tried spinning before. I'd tried spinning once before that. And I finished a class like wanted to faint or puke. I'm not sure, but it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. So it's like, it doesn't really make your legs stronger, but it makes your cardio, I think, a lot better. So I did that I, and I successfully uh, achieved the challenge. Even that um, every time that we went to the to the a session, a spinning session, they would like uh, draw a star next to our name on a big board. And one one night they forgot to put a star next to my <laughs> name, and I was sitting in the corner thinking, "Oh shit, what do I do? I need to see all the stars next to my name for my." Even though I know I showed up, I wanted to see all of those stars, so I went to the the desk and I, I asked the woman um um excuse me um you've forgotten a star next to mine oh I was so embarrassed but yeah she gave me a pen and she said there you go you can go and add it yourself there's so much in that story that is so amazing I gotta tell you both that you re- wanted the star you needed the star but then you also gave yourself the star Mm, what do like you, you uh, asked for the star and you gave yourself the star mm-hmm. yeah because it's like showing up for myself yeah how do you see it i see it like that like you're you're in touch with what you needed in order to to stay within that bubble of uh of training and and getting ready for this thing mm-hmm. you overcame a fear of asking for it yeah and because she said, go do it, you then gave yourself that start. You you gave yourself that validation that you wanted and needed. Mm-hmm. Like I kept myself accountable. And rewarded yourself for showing up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's funny because before I did this, before I decided to hug the PCT, I looked at all those things like the spinning classes and, you know, the kind of classes that happen outside where you see a, like um, most often it's women doing training in parks and stuff like that. You probably have it in Los Angeles. Yep. I used to judge these people so much. Like I was cynical about it. I thought they were like too enthusiastic or too keen. And I had so much cynicism about what they were doing. And I ended up being there, <laughs> <laughs> being, being there myself. And it, I didn't do uh, that that spinning challenge for the love of spinning. I did it to make myself uncomfortable. And that's what I think, like people always uh, ask me what's the best kind of training for the PCT. And the best kind of training for the PCT is the PCT because you cannot replicate it. But I think it's important to get used to discomfort before you go. Like get used to suffering. (laughs) It's a weird (laughs) thing to say. But getting used to doing something, even if you're not in the mood for it necessarily, 
because there's a lot of that on the trail. You cannot go and through hike the PCT and believe that you're going to feel like hiking every day. That's not yeah. what's going to happen. <laughs> and it sounds like, I mean, you have to hike when you're not in the mood. You have to hike when you're in pain. You mm. have to hike when you're, when you're exhausted. Yeah. You have to hike in the rain, in the snow, in the middle of the night. You have to like, after four months of hiking, you're, you've, seen it all you know you're like I cannot walk anymore or at least that's (laughs) how I felt that's how I felt and then I had to cancel those feelings and just keep going so I think that's you can never be in good enough shape for the PCT but I think it's not about the physical shape I think it's about the mental shape and if you're okay with being super uncomfortable and yeah I think that's gonna be a huge strength how have how has that strength that you exercised on the trail being being okay with being uncomfortable being okay with not wanting to do it but doing it anyway translated now that you're back now that you're off the trail Mm, that's such a good question such a good question um Well, okay, so there's many elements to this. The first thing that comes to mind is that I've always wanted to write a book. But the only way to write a book is to sit down every day and to write. Yep. And that can be pretty boring. So um, I had the idea for the book when I was hiking. And then when I came back, uh, I knew exactly how to write a book because I'd gone on one long journey. That was the PCT. And that was just, I just needed to replicate that kind of long journeys. But instead of walking, it was like sitting down. It's the opposite kind of journey. But doing the writing every day, like you're saying? Mm -hmm. To me, that's the same thing. It's like the same muscle in your brain of doing that. If you, of knowing that if you do this small thing every day, it's gonna, you're gonna arrive somewhere. Nice, nice analogy. Knowing that the middle part is the worst part. I hated Oregon. There was parts of Northern California I really hated. And it's nothing to do with the landscapes. It's to do with where I was in my head. And the exact same thing happened with my writing. Like writing, there's 10 chapters in my book that I just finished writing yesterday. Um, Thank you. Uh, and writing chapter like five, six, and seven took so long because you're. It's like there's no more fun, and also you feel so far from the end. So I think um, before the PCT, I was like an impatient person, and I had creative project ideas, but I wanted to do it fast, okay, to get it done, take shortcuts get it done in the fastest way possible. And then when you hike the PCT, you, you like constantly, I constantly thought, Oh, how can I make this 28 miles day faster? Oh, there's no way to make it faster. Actually. (laughs) The, The only way to get there earlier is to not take breaks or to take shorter breaks or to walk faster. There's no, I mean, there are a few shortcuts on the PCT that you can take. But most of the time, there's none. There's, it's just a straight line. You keep going. You have to do the hard work to get there. 
you have to. So I think that's a massive analogy for the rest of my life. You're, you've learned how to push through the, the middle part. Yeah, push through the middle part and realize that I have to do the work and go through all the steps to arrive somewhere meaningful nice. or to achieve something big. Right. Yeah. Did your experiences on the PCT and or just the fact of doing the PCT help you or influence you making the choice to, to shave your head or to cut <laughs> your hair? <laughs> oh, God. And my tattoo. And your tattoo. Um, an umbrella? It's an umbrella for Washington. Um, <laughs> Mar- you're saying that Washington marked you? <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. So I always wanted to shave my head since since I was 17 or 18 uh, and this guy I had a crush on told me not to do it that I would look ugly but since that day I remember wanting to do it and I've always wanted to get tattooed but didn't really know what to get tattooed and I've wanted to hike the PCT for a long time and all of these things happen within a year so that year is like a shift, a massive shift in my life where I don't think about something. And I don't think I'm ever going to think about something for many years and let myself be stopped by limitations, like made up limitations. So what was the question? Oh, did it influence? Shaving your head influence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I, I was um, a few months in December, so two months after coming back from the trail, I was on the phone with my closest trail friend, Anna, and I said to her, oh, maybe I should shave my head, but she'd heard me say that so many times on the trail, and she <laughs> said, "She said, stop saying it and do it, so I, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it now, and so I hung up the phone, asked my partner to do it, so I sat in the bathroom. He shaved my head right there and then. And then I saw myself in the mirror and I went on my bed and cried in a, in really? a ball. <laughs> yeah, because I was like shaking. It was just so weird to see myself this way. I felt naked to the world because I've always identified myself to my curls. Like I was a really, really curl. I had like massive curly hair when I was growing up. And I had people call me Curly as a nickname. And I always thought, oh, my curls go so well with my artistic, whimsical personality. And then suddenly they were gone. So, yeah. You were a little naked. Yes. But the next day was, like, <gasps> so empowering. It so, feels like you're you're on the journey of empowerment. Like stepping yeah, from one sure. stone to the next. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad I'm doing it now rather than her. When you started the trail, you had, you, you gained, you had a trail family. Yeah. Um, not when I started, I started on right. my own. You started on your own, but there's so many people starting that you start accumulating bodies around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But then you got to Kennedy Meadows and you left for five days mm-hmm. and you came back. So how did that work out? Yeah, how did that work out? 
Um, um, there was about 12 of us by the time we made it to Kennedy Meadows. I met them in the first week. I think by day five, six or seven, I had my little crew that we, we called each other. Uh, we call ourselves the Ridge Kids, not Rich, but Ridge. <laughs> and then I left for five days. And the thing is uh, that we had decided to flip. So flip to uh, the border of Oregon and nor Northern California and then hike southbound Okay. from there. So they were going to do the first part. They were going to do a little road trip and go to the Redwoods while I was away and then do the first section of Oregon southbound. And then I would meet them uh, in Ashland at Callahan's Lodge and keep going with them and with my partner who had joined us at that point. So it, it worked out okay. But then later on, I had to do that section that I'd missed. Mm -hmm. and, and that's when I lost them later on because I thought I could just do it really fast and then catch up to them, but that was too much for me. And uh, I just bro broke down and that's when I, I, I lost them later on. So you guys got to Kennedy Meadows. They, you guys flipped up to Oregon, mm -hmm. hiked then back down to Kennedy Meadows. Well, that was the original plan. But by the time we made it to Quincy, so like three or four weeks later, we'd hiked uh, most of nor Northern California southbound. We were really sick of running into people, running into northbounders. Uh, well, two things. Running into people that are going in the opposite direction is hard uh, because that's just a lot of small talk and you don't uh, necessarily get to know these people. So to me, that, that was like, we joked around saying that we should have a leaflet explaining who we were, why we'd flipped, <laughs> where we, because everyone asked the same questions. So we thought, oh, we should just have a leaflet and give it out to people. Uh, so there was that. And there was also the fact that we felt alone in our little bubble. Um, and we kind of wanted to. And it's also weird when you're uh, going in the opposite direction because you when you flip, because you don't have the milestones anymore. True. The milestones of, oh, I've reached a thousand miles. You have to count it in your head. And you're never really sure. So we decided from Quincy to rent a van and drive back to Kennedy Meadows and start hiking northbound again, which was great. Get back to Quincy. Yes. And then, then pop up into Oregon and finish up that way. Oh, yeah. It was okay. logistics night, a logistics nightmare. <laughs> I don't recommend it. And looking back, uh, yeah. Looking back, I would not recommend such a fancy flip but at the time we didn't know better so right but i i would i would assume and you can tell me otherwise that you don't regret flipping and missing the sierras at the high snow that was there and the storms that were coming in like daily or every couple of days mm. Mm. well i don't regret it's a I think regret is not the word. I don't regret flipping because I enjoyed my experience. What I regret, however, is not listening to myself. And the, the story is that we had a group meeting in Mojave. 
So that's mile 600 something where we would decide our strategy because it was 2019. There was a lot of snow in the Sierras and everyone had different opinions on what we should do or shouldn't do. So we called a meeting in a Motel 6 room. Uh, we all sat in a circle. I had like a, a map of the PCT on my iPad and I was ready with my pen to like draw up some different strategies. And most people in our group wanted to flip. I, um, in my heart, wanted to keep going at least for a few days and see it for myself. And there was a few other people in the group that I knew if I said, I'm going, I keep going, would have joined me. But we decided to uh, listen to the majority of people who wanted to flip and flip together. But I felt like I was not following my gut instinct there because I wanted to see what the snow looked like. I wanted to see what I was capable of. And I didn't feel afraid of that challenge. So we flipped. And then when we flipped, the, the trail family started breaking up because one thing that happens after Kennedy Meadows is that people start seeing their deadlines coming up or they start getting used to their own rhythm and they want to do more miles and everything starts changing. In the desert, you're kind of taking it easy because it's the beginning. But yeah, we flipped and then everyone's rhythms changed and the, the family kind of started breaking up. And that made me so angry. I spent so much time being angry it was kind of at the people but truly it was at me for not respecting what I wanted yeah so and I'd heard this you know I'd heard advice from people before saying out on my hike saying see it for yourself don't uh don't necessarily stick with the group but it's hard not to stick with your group when you love everyone in it and you get so attached to the family and the way you're doing things. I, I feel like unless you very specifically stick with the I'm a solo hiker, that is, you know, and that is what my journey is going to be. You get, you get into that dilemma of do I continue on my own and my own journey or do I stay with these people that I really get along with, that I really enjoy hanging mm-hmm. with and, that dilemma, that dilemma is hard. And I think a lot of people that I've talked to struggle with the choices. Mm-hmm. I definitely did many times because many times I had the, the this dilemma to, do I keep going or do I stick with them? Or do I, sometimes it's the opposite. It's, I feel like I need to slow down, but I want to stick with my friends. So do I push myself so hard that my body might break down or do I stop here and rest and lose these people that I love? So yeah, that's a constant decision-making process. But I think if you get, if you get good at listening to your instinct, it's easier because if I look back on it, I knew every time, every time the decision (laughs) showed up, I knew inside my heart, but I, went with my brain how do you think you're gonna react to that kind of dilemmas 
I have the suspicion that I will choose my solo journey over the people so or the the tramley people journey. Mm-hmm. But I honestly, part of that is just because, dare I admit this on a podcast, I'm not a huge people person. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not a huge group person. Uh, that doesn't interest me. Like having one or two people that I'm having good conversations with and stuff like that, that is much more interesting to me than being in a large group mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. but I could surprise myself as well. Uh, who knows? Yeah. I, you, I mean, you might meet one or two people that you love so much and their rhythm mm-hmm. match yours. And then you find yourself meeting them always at the same place. And then one day you haven't seen that day coming, but one day comes where you have to make a decision that's going to bring you away from these people that you didn't even think were your family, your trail family. Yep. You're making a movie here. <laughs> we're, at, we're at the third, the, the end of the second act climax here. What are you, yeah. you going to make the decision? What's the decision going to be? <laughs> what is Erin going to do? We're going to know after the break. Exactly. <laughs> Come back after the commercial. Yeah. I was so afraid of uh, splitting up with my group, but that's what eventually ended up happening. I ended up being only with Anna. I finished with Anna. I spent all of Washington um just me and Anna. And that was so wonderful. I, as much as I had a really good time with, with that group of 12, being just the two of us was free, was freeing. I'm sure. It was easier. And like, I don't want to the I'm happy. I had the experience with the Ridge kids, but I'm also so thankful for my time with Anna because we, we became so close and Yeah. I, I can't even imagine the decision-making process when you're talking about 12 people having to agree on mm-hmm. something as individual as a hike like that. Yeah, that's hard. And it's also hard because it's not 12 people agreeing. It's There's all, always like leaders whose voices come out stronger. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, yeah. I think I was one of them. I think I was one of the loud ones in my group, like one of the leaders. And I'm sure some people did things that they didn't really feel like doing, but they followed because I was going. So, yeah, it's hard. Sort of what you're talking about of making the decision to stay with the family, whether that means to hike faster or slower or to stop and take an extra zero day or whatever it is Mm -hmm. versus doing your own hike. Mm-hmm. And you can see it sometimes, you know, I remember days where I was like, oh, I'm feeling really good today. I'm going to do 25 miles. And then someone says, oh, okay, I'll do it with you. They're not feeling, they're not there yet, or they're not feeling it, but they, yeah. But they'll do it. Yeah. They want to be part of the, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Before getting on the trail, did you consider yourself to be a vocal leader? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've always been. I remember someone telling me in Cégep. So Cégep is like the school we go to in Canada, in Quebec before high school and university. Okay. I did like a, a, 
a thing where it's build a website in 24 hours with, in, a, in a small team and then there's prizes at the end and, and stuff. And I was in a team of four. And afterwards, one of, the, one of my teammates uh, shouted to me and he said, you have such a dominating aura. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that sounds very negative. And it can be for some people. And I'm trying not to be dominating as to shut other people down or mm -hmm. how it's a drive. I definitely have a drive that can be intimidating for some people, but that can be inspiring for many others, I think. And I've always uh, been like that as much as I, I'm, I think I'm an introverted person. I like my, in my internal world is my uh, inner inner world is really important for me but i also have like a big drive i love speaking in front of people i love organizing games and stuff like this so so when you were on the trail and you and those groups and you guys are having to make decisions and and whatever you were good with sort of stepping into the leadership or one of the leadership positions and and um helping to steer the 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 ship so to speak yeah sometimes i was sometimes i i sat back down and i thought let's let's just go with the the feelings of those who are of others let's just let others decide and it depended on the moments what was your trail name poppins as in mary poppins or something else yeah as in mary poppins <laughs> How did that come about? Um, it came about, I had so many suggestions in the first few weeks. Um, but Poppins came about, it was my friend Perk's idea, along with Pirate and Sherpa. They had a little meeting together and then <laughs> they waited for me at, at an intersection and they, they said, we have three trail names to present to you. You can choose one of the three. <laughs> So one of them was Kaleidoscope, but I had a hard time pronouncing it, so that went out the window. One of them was Peacock, which I liked, but also a Peacock is like someone who likes to brag and show off. So I didn't like that aspect so much. And the third one, the third one was Poppins, and it was for my imagina imagination, my colorful imagination. Yeah, and all the ideas I came up with. Yeah, all of them are are colorful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love telling stories and coming up with funky projects or ideas. So I think that's what it was related to. Um, and Mary Poppins is dressed in black in the stories. Mm -hmm. I was dressed in lots of colors, but I had, um, but she has like uh, an amazing imagination. And I think that's what my friends were referring to. And it's funny because I ended the trail with an umbrella. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Which I didn't have at first. I ended the trail with an umbrella and I got an umbrella tattooed. So everything is linked together. It's, it's funny to me also with Poppins because, yes, Poppins was creative and or Mary Poppins was creative and great imagination and all of that. But she was also the governess. She was also the leader. She was also mm. the, the creator of what the kids were going to do or where they mm -hmm. were going to go. 
Oh, that's so true. That's so true. And makes me think of two things. First, I grew up going to summer camp and I became a camp counselor. And I loved being a counselor. And I remember like saying things to, to kids, bringing kids to like a meal and say that the meal was pasta. I'd say, oh, today we're eating without our utensils so uh, and without our hands. So all the kids had their faces in their plates and like they had spaghetti, spaghetti sauce up their nose. <laughs> and I love doing these things, like making them experience like a life that's so far from their life back home. So that's funny because that's very Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that it makes me of uh, think of is about the leadership, how those regrets I have about not stepping up in terms of the flip-flopping. Right. And following your... Yeah. I didn't, in that moment, I didn't follow my natural leadership that was like boiling inside of me. I, I quieted that down. And I think that's, that's why it was like a hard time for me because it was saying no to that true part of me it's like um i don't want to be a dominating aura but i also need to embrace that part and use it in a positive manner when you guys were doing the northern california section when you were so angry at (laughs) at the choices that had been made or that that you had allowed Mm -hmm. yourself to make yeah how did you work through that how did you kind of get to the other side of that or was it just a natural evolution because of the miles and the time and it was a very long natural evolution. I think I only freed myself of all that when we went back to Oregon much later on. And I tried to catch up to the group, but I had a day where it was just all too much. And I hiked for uh, six miles and lied in my tent for the rest of the day. And from, from that moment on, I think I lost the rest of the group. It was just me, my partner, and Anna. And I think I had to have this break to understand that I didn't need the group and to reflect on everything that had happened. For you, what was that what was that moment like? What what was it that you were reflecting on or what was it that was coming up within you in that moment? Hmm. It's uh what was coming up is huh, see, it's not that bad to be on your own. It's not that bad. It can be very fun and very uh, much of a relief. It was uh, the thing I was anticipating was being only with a few people and it ended up being like, huh, okay, maybe I can do this a different way. And it was making you happier? Mm-hmm. Well, I have a hard time saying happier because I had so many really happy moments with the group, but it was making me feel like uh, I could listen to myself more because there was so many days in the desert where I pushed myself so hard to make sure that I would sleep at the same campsite as the 11 other people. And that that's okay to push yourself. I think some people really enjoy it, but there's like a difference between pushing yourself because you want to, and then pushing yourself because you feel like you need to like, it's the difference between 
what do you really want to do and what do you feel like you should be doing? Like the brain versus the heart. Right. Yeah. You had a you had a a note in in your Instagram feed about choosing yourself. And I feel like that moment where you're walking just 6 miles and and you let the the rest of the group kind of go along is one of those moments where you were you were choosing yourself. Or like I didn't choose myself. I didn't uh, have a choice in that moment. It's like you're not paying attention to what we're telling you. Like say there's like the little <laughs> people in my heart, <laughs> like, yeah. like that, that movie, like a uh, inside out. They're like, uh-huh. you're not paying attention to what we've been telling you for hundreds of miles. So we'll make you so exhausted that you can't keep <laughs> going. And maybe you will listen. <laughs> I, you know, I've kind of heard that about the, the, the trails in general, that, as hard as you try to avoid something, the more the trail will basically throw it at you. Exactly. That's so true. <laughs> That's so true. You can live in the, some people, I'm sure some people manage to live in, in denial of their fears and their obstacles the whole way, but it's very hard. You have to work really hard to avoid it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Against the current. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. In your fears list, you have, I'll miss my people. I don't like hiking that much. I've never hiked for more than four days in a row. I'm scared of being cold and falling in a creek. What if I come back in two weeks? You know, all of those kind of things. And then you get out on the trail. You touch the, the southern terminus. You take your picture and you head off. And now you're, you know, that first night you're, you're camping. Did mm-hmm. some of those fears start to kind of go off your shoulders? Not straight away. So my fears didn't lift off straight away because that first day was the biggest hiking day of my life so far. Um, I was going to say. <laughs> I did, I did uh, 15 miles. And uh, when I got to camp, I ate dinner and then I was sick. Everything came out and I was feeling really bad and I was shivering and I was kind of like lying in a ball on my side in my tent thinking, oh my God. But I just repeated to myself, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. So at at first, let's just say I was not reassured. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But then after like a few days, four or five days, I was so in love with the place and with the hiking and with the people only like after five days, you feel like you've been there for so long. You already feel, I, I remember thinking like, uh, I'm so content. I could die as in, I didn't want to die obviously, but I felt so good. Like I was at the right place and I was enjoying it and I didn't care about the pain. And I thought the pain was going to be one of the hardest things, but actually it was like at the bottom of my list. I didn't care about the pain. And I'm sure it's different from one person to the other because some people are in more pain. Um, But yeah, when I started realizing that I loved it so much, I thought, okay, I don't think it's going to be a problem to finish this thing. Even even knowing the difficulties or the pain or the, you know, whatever was to come. 
that that love started to fill you up with the certainty of okay, this will be this this will this will be fine. And I'd also made a really big commitment before going there that I was going to finish, that I was not trying the trail. I was doing the trail from A to Z. And if I was going to get, my plan was that if I got injured, I would rent a car and do trail magic until I felt better and then keep going. But I couldn't, I was not going to allow myself to go home um, until September Unless, you know, someone really important to me got sick or passed away. That was the only reason I was going to go home. So where was I going with this? So I knew that I wanted to finish it, but then loving it was reassuring because it was like, okay, I'm going to finish it and I'm also going to have a good time. We're fine. (laughs) And those things can be mutually exclusive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Was it? nice helpful surprising that your partner like because he came out and he he didn't just day trip it he hiked it oh yeah he was there for two and a half months yeah it was great and he met you in the middle so it's not like he had the the desert to get in shape and and all of that so yeah he's all he's in such good shape he doesn't have to lift a finger and he's in good shape i don't know how it works (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, he started off hiking and he was in better shape than me, even after the hike 700 miles. So that was fine. Um, (laughs) Basically, he did everything except the desert and Washington. Everything in the middle, he was there for. And I was really glad that he could meet me because I didn't want to be the person who talks about this amazing experience for the rest of their life and have him not know what it was about. So that's why I wanted to share that with him. And also I was happy because one of my fears that I didn't list um, publicly in the uh, to do or not to do because I was shy or ashamed of it is I was afraid that he was going to break up with me. I I had heard stories of people who go and do this thing and they get like a bad news in the middle of it of their partner leaving. So that was one of my fears. And it was one of the reasons why I was not signing up to do it. Um, So when I decided to do it, no matter what happened with my relationship and he supported me and eventually he said, you know what, I'm going to do what I can to be there. It was amazing because I'd taken the decision for myself. I hadn't, I hadn't waited uh, for for him to decide to do it with me. I think it's the case for many people. They wait for, and he followed. I, I I spoke to a woman the other day. She said she had planned to hike in 2019, but uh, her partner said, "Oh, wait for me. Uh, wait till I finish my studies." And then we'll do it together in 2020. <laughs> okay. So she was angry at herself for waiting. You know, you can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so don't like, and everyone has different uh, situations, but if someone is in a situation similar to mine, I'd say don't wait for anyone. Just in Nike's immortal words, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're wearing an adidas hat 
It would have been perfect. I know. Thank you. I know. I, I am totally wearing that hat, but I'm literally staring at a, and this is so funny, but I have this Nike ad. It was a print ad from literally 1991. Okay. So when I was in college. And it's a Nike ad, and it says, sooner or later, you start taking yourself seriously. You know when you need a break. You know when you need a rest. You know what you need, what to get worked up about and what to get rid of. And you know when it's time to take care of yourself for yourself, to do something that makes you stronger, faster, more complete, because you know it's never too late to have a life and never too late to change one. Just do it. <gasps> that gives me shivers. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about every little sentence in that. I know. And that quote, just the first one speaks to me so much. Like, sooner or later, you'll start taking yourself seriously. Yep. That's that's so strong. Which is why it's been sitting with me for for 30 years. Oh, my God. Oh, can you, after this, send me a picture? I will send you a picture. Yep. Um. I, I mean, if you take yourself seriously, let's say someone decides to hike the PCT. If you, whether you take yourself seriously or not, is going to make a massive difference. Because if you don't take yourself seriously, you're going to be like, I'm going to try and we'll see what happens. And then chances are you don't finish it. But if you take yourself seriously, then you're going to put a structure in place for you to succeed. Yeah, hmm. I agree. And you start taking your needs and your wants, your desires seriously. Mm. Yeah. <gasps> Two things. Yeah. I have a question. The first, I, I, like we need to hear, I, I still need to hear that message even after through hiking. The other day I was looking at my uh, office. I, I'm in my office right now and I have my laptop that uh, I like put on a big book so that I can stare at the screen and not be like like this. But it's always falling off the book, sliding off the book, and I have stuff around it. And and I was thinking, maybe if I want my career to work the way I want it to work, I need to have a laptop stand. <laughs> no, no, that sounds so silly, but not just a laptop stand. You know, It's just not like being stuck in a corner working on my sliding laptop. That's taking yourself seriously. Yep, definitely. And I'm like, oh, but I don't want to spend money on a $90 um, laptop stand. And well, sometimes you need to spend some money to to take yourself seriously. Amen. Yeah. But I was going to ask you, uh, what was my question? Uh, oh, yeah. How, how's, how has your life progressed when you look at that? Nike poster. Like, have you integrated all of these things in your life yet? Do you think? Big question. <laughs> well, it is a big question, but it, but the answer is a definitive. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you forget. And and sometimes you forget. And sometimes you're good at it. And sometimes you're bad at it. And it. I think what I found for myself personally is even though I've had this poster now for 30 years, so since the time I was 21, 
I think I'm really, I really only started to truly live it when I got into my 40s. Mm. Truly, truly start to try to live it. Um, I think the years before that, certainly my 20s and into my 30s, I was kind of fumbling around a little bit. I wasn't as clear about what my voice was. I wasn't as clear about what my heart was. Mm. And so that has made the 40s, my 40s, extra special, I guess. Um, because of that, because I'm living that more, those moments more, mm. those things more. But I, I am excited to say, even though the definitive answer is sometimes, I am excited to say that I feel now more truly myself than, than I ever have before in my life. Mm. So I feel like it's a process of more, better becoming. Mm. If that makes That's sense. That's amazing. Yeah. What was the shift between your 30, your, those 20 years where you, you were not quite living it and what happened between this time and your 40s? I think at 40, and you hear people say it, but I don't know if I necessarily believed it until I got there. But at 40, it's started to become more clear to me who I was. It started to become more clear to me what my goals were, what I would accept and what I wouldn't accept and mm-hmm. being okay with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know I mean? it's, it's the self-acceptance, I guess, is really the, the anchor, the core of it. And then also being okay with, you know, when something happens, being okay with looking at it, maybe not liking it, not liking the choice, not liking the whatever, but not being so caught up in just the not liking it to be able to pull it apart and to think about it and to make different choices next mm-hmm. time. To more conscious. More conscious. Perfect. That is the perfect word for it. Yeah. Yeah. So so it was not like a one big definitive event. It was more of a natural evolution of self acceptance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's more, really nice. more conscious living, I guess. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, definitely something to aim for. Well, it seems kind of like you've started on that trajectory earlier than I did. Um, I think it started that that day, uh, that night that I was lying in my bed for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's you know, I'm only at the beginning. You don't you don't do a through hike and then you're fixed. It's it's only the beginning. <laughs> like. <laughs> I had a, a friend on the on the trail on the last day we were walking to the border of Canada. He said uh, he said something like, "I've always thought I was kind of a dud, and I thought this this trail was gonna help, but I still feel like I'm still a dud." <laughs> uh, it's like. Yeah. It doesn't, it changes you, but it doesn't changes you. It doesn't change you at the same time. You still have your old messages, your old patterns? Yeah. And you got to be the one to break out of that. Exactly. Like the trail is not going to be like a lifetime remedy. And it's easy to ignore your old messages and your old patterns when you're on the trail because you're surrounded by completely different people completely different setting then you go back into your old settings it's so easy to get back into the same patterns yeah you know that's why some people have like depression they go hiking they 
all of their symptoms go away. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then as soon as they get back into their old life, all the sim- symptoms come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's beautiful in a way because it shows you uh, what's possible and how you can feel and the person that you are when all of these patterns are like on the back burner. I've, I've heard so many people refer to it as, or to themselves on the trail as the best version of themselves. Mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In your mind and also in your body, like you're so strong and I didn't have any headaches, any stomach burns. Like, I usually do in regular life. So yeah, that feels nice. But then once, and that that might sound cheesy. It's going to sound really cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) Um, uh, But once you meet that version of yourself, that best version of yourself, you just, you, you go back to your old one and it feels like a betrayal of that best version. It feels like, shit, I know it can be different. How do I make it different? Because I cannot accept going back to lower standards of living. And it doesn't mean like hiking every day, because that's not possible, like unless you have tons of sponsors, I guess. But uh, it means like, how do you find ways to create a life that allows you uh, to be that, that best version? That's a challenge. Yeah. Once the the blinders have been taken off, it's mm. really difficult to. What is what is the analogy? Once go back in the box. Yeah, go back in the box. Once once you've opened it up, it's very hard to put it all back in the box again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was comfortable being my old me, and then it was not comfortable anymore when I knew what was out there. Yeah. There's so many metaphors we could make with that. <laughs> we could be here all day with metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> what was your, what was one of your most challenging times on trail? Hmm. Hmm. So there's, of course, there's all the, uh, the things we were talking about, about choosing yourself and stuff. Um, but mm, that's a good question. I'm thinking of two times specifically. Um, One of them is the day I was hiking by Crater Lake in Oregon. It's so beautiful. And yet I didn't want to be there. I'd been walking for four months and I just hated everything. Like that lake was so beautiful, but I was, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be hiking that day that whole there was like a two or three weeks period where I didn't want to be hiking there was my birthday on the 17th of August I turned 30 30 on the trail and the day I turned 30 I had to hike 26 miles in an ordinary forest I was tired I wanted to be with my friends um I wanted to be home want to be pushing and then same thing with the crater lake day and then there was lots of instances in oregon where we needed to uh, night hike and i didn't like i didn't enjoy night hiking 
<laughs> and it's funny because my uh, my partner he loved it and he would hike behind me and look at the stars like the starry starry sky and tell me oh marie look at the beautiful sky it's amazing and i was like i don't care. i don't care about the stars i hate this <laughs> and that that's how i got the idea for the book i'm writing and the title it might change because i'm not sure that it's a good title but right now the working title is i hate the stars sometimes nice to in reference to these moments so yeah that period of two three weeks was hard and then the last three days on the trail we had a snowstorm in washington and that was physically hard and logistically hard but at the same time it's amazing memories so I don't think I can consider it like the hardest time, even though I, I had snow up to my waist and thought I was going to lose a few toes. Did you ever, well, in Washington, it would have been difficult, but, but during that low point around Crater Lake and so forth, did you ever just think about, I'm done? Or no. Or it was just, this is hard and I don't like it, but it is what it is. It is what it is. And my question to myself was, are you done? And no, I was not done. So are you done? Nope. Ah, well, too bad. You've got to keep going until you're done. <laughs> it's like that, that deal with myself was unbreakable. Yeah. So that, that was never a question for me. And I, I, I'd heard, uh, someone say, I, I'd watch a YouTube video in which the woman said, don't even give yourself the option to quit. Because if you open that door, your brain is going to come in and find all the reasons to make it acceptable. And I don't, I mean, I I think it's okay to decide it's not for you and to leave the trail. That's okay. And I don't want to judge anyone who leaves the trail. Uh, Some people just figure out that they don't really enjoy it. And the accomplishment and the goal that they had loses its meaning. Um, but it was not the case for me. The, the goal had meaning all the way to the end. Well, how do you see it? Are you going to, how do you, are you approaching this aspect of through hacking? Like what will, how, what would be a good reason for you to leave? How do you think about it? I think about it honestly, as more related to injury than anything else. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm actually in the process of, of reading, finishing up uh, Scout's book, new book. <gasps> I'm and, receiving it. <laughs> <gasps> um, it's good. It's really good. But Amazing. there's a lot of conversation in there about injury and, you know, that, that becoming that, that decision of is this an injury that gets me off or is this an injury that just slows me down a little bit? Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and I think that that's probably the thing that I would have to be realistic about, which I may be challenged at being realistic about, but I would have to be realistic about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a hard one. Yeah. And everybody, cause everybody keeps saying, you know, the trail is going to be there. The trail's not going anywhere. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that would have been a whole other thing. 
if I got injured, but I got lucky there. I think some injuries are preventable for sure. Like a, a, a friend of mine, he had a stress fracture the first time he attempted it, but that's because he didn't change his shoes for the first. He didn't change his shoes until the halfway point. So he got a stress fracture and like, oh, that that's not my fault. I have to quit. I have a stress factor. But he was like, okay, next time I'm going to be smarter about this and not let my ego make the decisions. Yeah. And I do think that I, I'll, not, not to pass judgment or whatever, but I do think, I know, I find for myself at least, that a lot of times when I make bad choices, it's a lot about the ego. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, pushing miles. There's lots of people that arrive in Idlewild, and Idlewild is pretty early on on the trail, and they're badly injured. And then you ask them, how many miles have you been hiking a day? And they they tell you 25. That's okay for some people. Some people are used to it, and they're fine. But if it's your first through hike, then, you know, that's that's an ego. Like you said, yeah. that's the ego pushing miles. And then what happens, happens. Yeah. And then you, it's, it's almost like a foregone conclusion. What, what does foregone mean? It's almost written in stone, in, that, sky. in sky or whatever, that, that something is going to happen. If you don't mm-hmm. change your shoes out, then you are probably going to have an injury. If you're over hiking the miles that your body's not ready for, you're probably going to have an injury or your body's going to somehow let you know that, that you're not ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard a, of a woman who didn't, um, she was walking in her boots and she had didn't tie the, sh- the laces up because she was just like taking a break or something. And then she fell and she broke her knee. Ooh. That also, that really sucks, but that's also preventable in a way. I remember I was so obsessive at, at first being so careful with all of those details of where do you put your feet, feet on the trail, where do you step? Are your shoes properly laced? It sounds stupid, but I wanted this so much that I was a bit like, okay, is everything? And then there's obviously things you cannot control. You telling you telling that story reminds me. I don't know that you're you would be familiar, but there there used to be a a basketball coach at UCLA uh, named John Wooden, and one of the first things that he would teach his his uh, players was how to put on their shoes and so- their socks and shoes. Hmm. No, I didn't know about that. But but with the with the idea behind it being like what you're talking about, you know, if you have an injury, if you have a blister, if you have a this, if you have a that, it's going to impede you being able to do what you need to do. Yes. Your shoes need to be tied on properly for your foot to be okay to walk 2000 plus miles and it's what it goes back to what we were saying about taking yourself seriously you don't take yourself seriously you're not gonna tie your shoes properly and then you might fall your your potential for success goes yeah yeah and then sometimes accidents happen and yeah yeah Speaking of not necessarily accidents, but speaking of those places where you don't have a lot of control over what necessarily is going to happen, which would be like the stream and river crossings. Mm -hmm. 
Were you late enough in the season that they were, we'll call them better? They or? were a lot better. Okay. Yeah, they were a lot better. I didn't have very scary situations like some people had. Uh, I had a few, but there was always a lot of us to help each other out. I think that goes back to taking good decisions because I had a few moments where I was alone. Uh, I arrived at a creek alone and I was impatient and I didn't want to wait for other people. And then you have to assess what the risk is there and it can be hard. I crossed a few creeks alone because I assessed that the risk was okay, but I could have been wrong. I could have been wrong. So that's... And then when my instinct, my instinct told me to wait, I waited. When you, it, when you did choose to wait, like if you got to a stream and you had to wait, how long did you end up usually having to wait for somebody to come along? Never very long. Never very long. Yeah. Half an hour max. But that's because I, the most of the stream crossings are in the Sierras and I was always with a group in the Sierras. But there, there are some in Washington, if I remember correctly, right? There was a few, but nothing, um, nothing, qu- nothing deep. Okay. Always like, you know, mid, uh, knee, knee deep maximum. Okay. Mm-hmm. What was your, what is one of your most favorite memories of, of the trail? Either in terms of it was just a beautiful day or you just, were so inspired by what you were what you were doing mm. uh, th- three things uh, it's hard to choose I have like a wave of uh, ideas that are coming in uh, but let's just go with the first ones that are uh, popping up the day uh, we submitted for Esther Pass was amazing because it felt like we were on a different planet and I'd seen so many pictures of women on Forrester Pass, and I thought these women was, were so inspiring, and then there I was. So to me, that was a huge accomplishment. And then the landscapes were just magical. So that day, and I felt so good. I felt like I could have walked 50 miles that day because I was so happy and I felt so strong. How much snow was there on Forrester when you were? Uh, quite a lot, but it was manageable. It was manageable. Um, all of the Sierras were amazing. Back in the desert, I'm going uh, back and forth. But back no in the desert, the first double zero with my trail family in Idlewild was, it was so much love. It was, I, I hadn't known them for a long time, but I felt so close to them already. And there was a moment where we ordered pizza and we sat on the carpet of our motel room and we ate the pizza together and I'd bought some shrimp cup cocktail, you know, the, those shrimp that you dip in the marinara sauce and they were still frozen <laughs> when I brought them to, to dinner. So we were laughing so hard because you had to suck the little shrimps to eat them. To defrost them? To defrost them, you had to suck on, on them like a, an, a popsicle. So we called them the shrimpsicle. And we were like on the floor crying because it was so funny. And we were so exhausted from, we were so exhausted from the hiking that every little detail 
was funny as hell. And it's that feeling of like that big heart feeling, honey feeling uh, when you're tired and everything is so beautiful and you, you, you have love for everyone around you. You know that feeling. Yeah. So that. And then um, in Oregon, something amazing happened when Anna and I were uh, resupplying at Timberline Lodge, the, uh, the hotel where the, the Shining was mm-hmm. shot. And we were just uh, in the, the lounge area, like trying to gather up the courage to start hiking again. And this couple came to us, two strangers. They were really cute. They just dropped their daughter off at college or in their 50s. And they said they wanted to offer us a room. So we said yes. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be crazy not to. Yeah, exactly. And I was... That was so amazing. It was such a treat. I had never been in such a beautiful hotel room, like old wooden walls, uh, hand-woven blankets, and the sheets were so soft. And the the bathroom had like white ceramic tiles and a vintage shower. It felt so special. We left the next morning really early. And it was like... uh, a revival. I think that's when I started liking Oregon again. <laughs> With how many miles left of Oregon? <laughs> we had two days left. <laughs> Morning, because I thought everything was so beautiful. And I was like, yeah, that was a different mindset for me, Washington. That's why I got the tattoo of the umbrella. Washington marked you the most. Yeah, it was the, the, the month of the state of acceptance. The rain, the cold, the snow. It was like the worst, but at the same time, I didn't care at this point because I was like ready to accept anything that came my way. But it took a while, took 2,000 miles to get there. Well, they, you know, everybody does say that the the trail will keep throwing it at you until you, ex- basically the the trail will keep throwing something at you until you accept. Yeah, like we were saying earlier, until yeah. you catch the ball. I it's like I say this thing about um, the calling to true hike. It's like receiving a letter from Hogwarts. Mm, and yeah. even if you if you tell if you think, oh, that's not for me. I don't want to go to wi- wizard school. And it, they're just going to keep sending you letters until you agree to go. It's the same. And you, And there's no place that you can hide because it will find you. Yes, <laughs> they're magical letters. They will exactly. find <laughs> Exactly. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? Um, well, I'd love to tell your listeners about the course that I'm launching in September. Yes, and actually also talk about your books. I'm assuming that you're, you still have those out there. Yeah, yeah, and they're also available digitally. So the pre-trial book is for people who love personal growth and they love to get deep and to do mindset work it's questions that are uh, it's 32 questions to answer before you go on a long distance trail um so it's mental preparation and then there's the post trail book that's to uh, it's like a it's like a baby book but for hikers who've just come back and they're nostalgic and they don't want to forget any of the small details. So there's like things like 
your favorite meal on trail, your favorite town, your favorite day, your most difficult moment, all the things that you don't necessarily have pictures of. That's what it's for. And I'm writing a book, uh, but that's going to come out um, next year. And then there's the course that I'm launching in September that's called Hike This Damn Trail. (laughs) (laughs) For everyone uh, that was like me and like you and when you want to do it, but you don't quite know where to start and you don't necessarily have the courage yet and or you're maybe lacking supportive people around you or tools to help you plan it's that's what it's for so it's going to be a six weeks live course where i meet with a group of 20 through hikers every week for two hours and there's a different subject every week um after which we have a group discussions, I answer their questions, and there's going to be homework uh, per se every week. Uh, I'm going to give the students worksheets that they have to fill in, and all of these worksheets are going to come together in like a step-by-step action plan for them specifically, like a personalized action plan for them so that when they leave the course, if they get overwhelmed, they just have to get go back to that guide and see what they have to do before they're ready to go. Wow. How, how long have you been <laughs> developing this? Um, since the beginning of summer or maybe a little bit before. It was in my mind like a seed and it grew naturally. It, it grew naturally. And then I just, I love talking with people and sharing my experience. I love creating tools to help hikers. Um, I love that world. And more than anything, I love personal growth, and I thought I would mix these two passions, so hiking and personal growth, and see how I could help people with that. Where can people find that? Where should people find you to be able to sign up with on Instagram? Find book? Yeah, it's all on Instagram. I'm Marie Draws underscore the PCT, and then there's a link in my bio with the link to buy their books or to sign up to the course right now. I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but uh, right now it's the waiting list. You sign up to the waiting list and you receive all the information. The VIP sale for the book starts on the 7th of September. So, and it ends and the, the course starts on the 26th of September. I hope I can have 20 people. I think it's really helpful to have, people around you that share the same dream and that are there to keep you accountable. It's kind of like the same principle of the star next to my name at at the spinning gym, but it's having people who are there to support you, help you out with the logistics and like a accountability structure to make sure this happens. And it's not just one of those things that you dream about and never find the time to organize. What what is your piece? Well, sorry, what is your website address? It's it's mariedraws.com. Okay, super easy. Yeah, so Marie draws and does a lot of other things. <laughs> <laughs> Marie draws, hikes, likes to talk, uh, <laughs> writes. Marie writes, but I keep it short. Mariedraws.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to me. 
Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I, this has been so much fun. I, I followed your hike last year with your drawings and pictures and all that kind of stuff and your poncho. <laughs> I hate that poncho. I hate the poncho. Don't get a poncho on the PCC. <laughs> oh, really? That, that's your word of it, your big advice? Yeah. Don't get a poncho? My biggest word of advice, don't get a poncho. There's too much wind. It's a nightmare. <laughs> One of the things that I did see on your Instagram, and I kind of want to leave it or end it here, but one of the things that I thought is you were talking about the advice that you got from Trail Angel Mary. Yes. She was amazing. Uh, she said, hold on, let me remember. She said, so yeah, Marie, Trail Angel Marie, she said, the biggest challenges you will face on trail are the ones that you brought with you. So you already arrive with a baggage that you, that becomes clear when you're on the trail. Everything that you've been denying before you get there shows up when you're on the trail. It's not like, it's not like there's a mountain lion. How did she say it? You bring your own mountain lion. Oh, interesting. So the, the, the fears that you bring are going to really um, influence how you live your experience. I would assume, and you tell me if I'm, I'm wrong here, but I would assume that when she said that to you, you heard her, but you didn't necessarily, <laughs> I could see your face, <laughs> you didn't necessarily go, oh yeah. Like how long did it take you for the oh yeah moment to hit? Yeah, 2,000 miles. She said that, <laughs> she said that, I thought, oh, this is so wise, but I don't think I integrated it completely until I reached 2000 miles ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I came back from the trail and my friends were like, Oh, what's your big life lessons? And have you changed? You don't look like you've changed. You look like the same person. And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess I'm the same person. I mean, I guess I haven't changed. But then after a few months, you start seeing the changes in your mindset. Like what we were saying earlier about you cannot go back to your old self. It's a betrayal to go back to your old self. So that you really start feeling the discomfort of going back to the old you after a few months. And that's when you see the, the changes. At least that's what, how it was for me. I don't, I, I don't think that this is universal, but. Yeah, took a took a while. You you go back to your old life and the clothes just don't quite fit, right? Yeah, no, they don't fit, but you don't want to throw them out or give them away because you know that they will fit again very soon. <laughs> I just was realizing that one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, but I forgot to, as we go into hour two. But anyway is this year you started to use your illustrations to help other people tell their stories of the trail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where did that evolve from? And how has that impacted you? Because obviously a lot of, a lot of the stories that you're telling um, with Stark Naked and with Akuna and things like that are, are challenging. 
Mm -hmm. challenging to both capture the story that they're telling into a way that translates. Mm. You know what? It was not challenging to me, surprisingly. It was so natural. Um, Beautiful. So when I, I had the idea, basically I put out a post that said, I want to offer my skills for the Black Lives Matter movement so anyone could come talk to me. And Stark Naked approached me and they told me about their story and their experiences. So that's how we start. it started. We created the illustrations together. But it was so much bigger than me that it was like, it was like a new pool of inspiration. And it was almost like there was a hand above me making me come up with the ideas it was weird in terms of the way that you were what you were drawing or how you were drawing it was happening so naturally and the same thing with akuna uh he recorded voice messages of his uh, experiences uh yeah he recorded voice messages and then the illustrations as he as he spoke were popping up in my mind so it was super easy and to me it's like complicated experiences that they live, complex experiences that they lived, but it was, I don't know, my brain simplified them and put them into a comic slash illustration uh, naturally. So maybe I should do more of them. Actually, two, totally of, should. two of them are coming up, two really exciting ones are coming up. Um, and I want to do more of them because it feels like, so much bigger than me and so inspiring and so impactful. So yeah, that's going to be a, like a sideline as well. Yeah. No, you should, you should totally do more. They mm -hmm. are very powerful. I'm doing one coming up on a uh, chronic pain and another one on uh, queerness in the outdoors. So yeah. Beautiful. And I'm learning as I do it. So that's great. Do you think that, like with these next two that you'll continue on with it beyond that? Um, I'd love to. We'll see where it takes me. I'm receiving, uh, people are coming to talk to me about children's books. So maybe that's what it's going to turn into. Uh, children's books about very important subjects. I would love to do that. Yeah. So we'll see. The more I do them, the more ideas I will have about future projects and the more people will come talk to me with their ideas. for this episode can be found on our website at hiking-through.com Special thanks to Marie for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you want to find out more information about Marie's pre- or post-trail books, her six-week course or her upcoming book, go to mariedraws.com On next week's episode, I'll be talking to Stark Naked himself. We mentioned them in this episode, and we'll get to dig in even more on their experiences on trail and what knocked them off. I hope that this conversation, these conversations, inspire you to get out there and have a few hiker trash moments of your own. I'll see you on the trail. <laughs>